0: This podcast details true crime cases. It contains adult themes and may contain descriptions of violence. It is not intended for children.
1: Listener discretion is advised. Thank you for joining me for today's episode of Once Upon a Crime. We're in the series Fakes, Frauds, and Liars. In our last episode, we learned about a condition known as Munchhausen by Internet. This is when a person fakes an illness to receive attention online. Munchausen by internet is much more common than Munchausen syndrome or Munchausen syndrome by proxy, mainly because it's much easier to fake an illness over social media. Many of the people being fooled never see the faker in person, and they may even be complete strangers. Most people use their real identities with fake symptoms and diagnoses, but to add another layer of deception, some create completely false identities for their online friends that they then used to spin their illnesses, accidents, or other dramas. One of the most bizarre stories in recent times is the Manti Teo case. Manti Teo was a linebacker for the NFL, playing first for the San Diego Chargers and now for the New Orleans Saints. Teo was in an online romance with a woman for two years, who he never met in person, although he would tell family that he had. This online girlfriend reported in 2012 that she was diagnosed with leukemia, On September 11, 2012, she reportedly died from the disease. A few months later, it was discovered that Teo's girlfriend had never existed. In actuality, a male acquaintance of Teo's had created the hoax because, he said, he had fallen in love with the football player and, in pretending to be a young female Stanford University student, was able to begin an online relationship with him. You can hear this entire story. the Not Perfect or Functional podcast in the near future. Check out their promo at the end of this episode for info and links to that show. Online deceptions are becoming more and more common. There was even a documentary and then a spin-off television show called Catfish that uncovers hoaxes that occur in online dating situations. But the case I'll be covering is more bizarre because of the scope and length that the hoax entailed. The person behind the Warrior Eli hoax didn't just create one identity, but multiple identities. By the end, there were over 80 fake Facebook profiles, each with another person, who made up one part of the hoaxer's fabricated world. We'll also hear from the person who discovered the ruse and blew this case wide open. This is Chapter 2, The Warrior Eli Hoax. Rochelle Sloan first met a man named John J.S. Durr online, on a now-long-gone online social network called Yafro. JS began to like and comment on pictures Rochelle posted of herself and began a flirtation. He began to share details of his life with her. His online presence began in July of 2004. At that time, he claimed to be 21 years old, played in a band, and had a three-year-old child from a previous relationship. JS said he now lived in Canada, but moved a lot and lived in several cities including Vancouver and Saskatchewan. He was an officer in the Canadian Royal Mounted Police, the canine unit to be exact. Over the years that J.S. had an online presence, he shared details about a revolving door of girlfriends. J.S. was a good-looking, physically fit guy who liked to show off his six-pack abs in his tattoos online. He portrayed himself as a real ladies' man. However, he kept getting his girlfriends pregnant, and he had had seven children by 2006 with several women. Besides all the baby mama drama, J.S. always had other dramatic events in his life. He was a twin, as would be many of his own children. He and his twin brother, Sam, had formed a rock band as teens. Sadly, Sam had been stabbed to death by his girlfriend when he was only 17 years old. When his seventh child, Eli, was born in 2006, he joined siblings Tim, age 5, Kyle, 4, Dougie, 3, Katie, 17 months, and Marcus and Matthias, twins who were not quite one years old. None of the children's mothers were around, and J.S. was raising them all as a single father. Eli's mother soon left their lives as well. While still a baby, Eli was diagnosed with a type of cancer known as Wilms' tumor. Wilms' tumor is a kidney cancer that is diagnosed most often in children. Now, it seems, J.S. put behind his hard-partying ways and his serial dating— and focused his life on taking care of Eli. When Eli was two, his cancer went into remission, and J.S. married Dana, who he'd met through friends. Dana was in training to become a trauma surgeon. Although Dana had been told she couldn't have children, she became pregnant soon after they married. She gave birth to twins, born three months premature, but they survived. They were now the parents of nine children. J.S. was only 25 years old. In late 2008, Eli was diagnosed with the secondary cancer, AML leukemia. Together, Dana and J.S. chronicled Eli's cancer treatments. They created the Warrior Eli Facebook page, which ultimately boasted over 6,000 followers. They also set up pages on other cancer websites, including CaringBridge and the charity Alex's Lemonade Stand. By the end of 2009, Eli was in remission again, but his cancer reemerged in 2010. Rochelle, who'd been online friends with JS for some time before Eli's birth, now became friends with Dana as well. She wanted to do what she could to help her friends the Durs through this difficult time. Eli and Dana had created camouflage plastic wristbands with Warrior Eli stamped on them for supporters. Rochelle asked for a box to hand out to her friends and family. The Durs also sent her pictures of Eli to show others. Eli then went into remission from leukemia, but was diagnosed with another type of cancer. Dana then gave birth to their 10th child, Jack. In 2011, J.S. almost died from a heart condition, but he recovered. All of these events were documented in detail on their Facebook page. The Durr family was well documented on social media. They posted photos of the children, themselves, and shared milestones in the children's lives and Eli's cancer treatment. Several of J.S. and Dana's family and friends were frequent commenters on their Facebook page. As well, over two dozen of J.S.'s ex-girlfriends were also represented. Each one of these people, of course, had their own Facebook profiles and pages, and many of the followers of the Warrior Eli page became Facebook friends of one another as well. In the meantime, J.S. and Dana had several more children together. In May of 2012, Dana was eight months pregnant with their 11th child. Dana was now working as a trauma surgeon in a Saskatchewan hospital. She loved her work and did not want to take time off from her job until it was absolutely necessary. So on Mother's Day, May 13, 2012, Dana Durr, at 35 weeks pregnant, was driving to work when she was hit by another car head on. Soon after receiving the news, Dana's father logged into Facebook and posted, Urgent prayers needed. He informed the Durr's family, friends, and followers that Dana had been airlifted to the same trauma center she worked at and was fighting for her life. Just hours later, J.S. posted the following to the Warrior Eli page. Last night at 12.02 a.m., I lost the love of my life. I lost my wife, the mother of my children, and my best friend. She fought so hard to cling to life. All of the doctors couldn't believe she survived as long as she did. Her injuries were so severe, they should have caused an instant death. I know she had no brain activity by the time she was at the hospital, but somehow, I think, she knew she had to keep her body going for the baby. She would have been so happy to know she gave birth to a perfect baby girl. Evelyn Danica was born at 11 last night, weighing 5 pounds, 5 ounces, and 17 inches long. Evie has a little swelling in her face, but other than that, she is perfectly healthy and absolutely beautiful. There are just those people who are born to be a mother, And Dana was one of them. Even completely unconscious, she knew she had to hold on just a little bit longer. She wouldn't have wanted Evie's birthday to be overshadowed by her death every year. She waited until just two minutes after midnight on Mother's Day to leave us. It's been almost 11 hours, and it's been the longest and hardest 11 hours of my life. Things will get better. They have to. I'm always going to love and miss my wife. But I have to let things get better for our kids." They need me almost as much as they need her. Dana's family didn't ask for anything for themselves from those who were grieving for their loss, even though Eli, now five years old, was then experiencing his fourth relapse of cancer. Instead, they asked people to donate to a children's cancer charity in her memory. Along with the thousands of people who were reading J.S.'s posts that day, one woman outside of Chicago, Illinois, was also online. Karen Wright was a young woman who was recovering from a major hip surgery and mostly immobile was spending her days online. She stumbled across the tragic story of Dana Durr, but immediately got a feeling that something wasn't quite right.
2: It didn't really have a ring of truth to it. I mean, when I first read that there was a little guy who had cancer whose mother had been in a car accident, I, I, th- I thought that that was very believable. Um, So I started looking at other things that the family had sort of put out there. Like they had a CaringBridge site where they really uh, wrote detailed things about little Eli's cancer treatment. Then I realized that the mother was 35 or 36 years old, which was pretty much just where I was at that time. And she had 11 children um, and she'd also gone to school and was a trauma surgeon. And I mean, it took me seven years to get my undergraduate degree. (laughs) And just like the idea that somebody with 11 kids could somehow have you've done all that education and had such an intense job, didn't really ring true to me at all. Then I started looking sort of closer at the pictures on the Facebook pages and the other websites that the family had. And I thought, well, I have a gigantic family, you know, with tons of cousins and stuff, we have group pictures of all of us. So it seemed odd to me that all the children were only pictured by themselves, you know, like that didn't ring true coming from a large family. Mm. So those were really the first things that sort of uh, kind of set off the alarm bells in my head.
1: She decided to do a little checking into the jurors to see if her suspicions were at all valid.
2: I saved a bunch of pictures from the Facebook. I took screenshots of them and I took I put them through Google image search Um, and at first didn't get any hits. And then on one picture, um, I got a hit from a South African mommy blogger. Uh, She had been writing about her twins. Actually, she's really, really well known in South Africa um, and other parts of the, the world. Uh, she she's sort of a, a figurehead for um, people that have gone through tons and tons of infertility treatments and things like that. So her children actually were well known, not in the United States, but everywhere else, you know, a lot of different places. So I looked at her blog and I thought there's no way that this woman stole these pictures from this family in Canada that's going through this already sort of fishy treatment thing. So that was the first thing where I knew, you know,
1: something was going on. Taryn then decided to start blogging about what she had found and set up the Warrior Eli hoax group. Her first post about the Durs' stolen Facebook picture was published online on May 14th, just hours after J.S. announced his wife's death. People were outraged and began commenting on Facebook and cancer blogs that the Durs had been active on. Immediately after, Facebook profiles of the Durs and several of their friends and family began disappearing. I asked Taryn what she thought drew her to undertake this project, of uncovering the truth behind this online hoax.
2: My whole life, really, I, I've been interested in hoaxes. I mean, when I was a kid, even I would read books from the library that were about, you know, the war of the worlds and things like that. I just really like the psychology of it is very interesting to me. It was probably like 2001 or 2002. Mm-hmm. There was this gigantic hoax involving a, um, a girl who supposedly died of cancer on some online community. I can't even remember what it was. But I followed that very closely. Um And I wasn't a member of the community. I must have read it in some sort of news article or something. So it was always sort of fascinating to me that people would do this and what they would get out of it. Um, Then I had this hip injury. I was stuck in bed for like months and months and months. And I was just reading tons and tons of books from the library. I would request them and my family would actually go and get them for me. And I just happened to request Dr. Mark Feldman's book on Munchausen syndrome and Munchausen by internet. Um, And I read that maybe two months before this whole thing came about. So I have a tendency, if something interests me, I kind of will run to the ends of the earth to follow it mm-hmm. um, and kind of Google anything that's even remotely close to it or related to it in some tangential way. So um, I, I think that I have a curious kind of interest in the topic, and also I will kind of chase something until it's, I, I will be the last one at any party when <laughs> something that I'm interested in. I just sort of don't give up on things.
1: Taryn then began a Facebook group to facilitate the investigation. At first, she had over 100 people join who were willing to help her research and sift through clues. Within 24 hours, she had over 100,000 hits to the blog. After tracking down and investigating J.S. Durr's blog posts from over a decade, she found that J.S. Durr, Dana Durr, and their 11 children, including Eli, did not exist. But as bad as that was, it was only the tip of the iceberg. Over 80 of the profiles, of course Dana and J.S.'s extended family members, but also friends who often commented on the DIRS posts, like J.S.'s longtime buddy Mitchie Aaron, were also made up. Whoever had created the DIRS online presence had spent countless hours not only creating fake profiles, populating them with pictures and posts, but also commenting as dozens of people across pages to make the whole thing look completely real. No one would ever imagine someone going to these lengths to continue a ruse. Who would do this and for what purpose?
2: Well, after I started getting lots of hits on the blog, I started getting lots of emails from people who had interacted with this quote-unquote family online. And they some of them had known these people for years and years and years. It turned out that the family was sending out um, awareness bracelets, you know, like the kind that Lance Armstrong wore, little plastic things um, to draw awareness to Eli's cancer battle. The family had sent out hundreds and hundreds of these bracelets really all over the world at their own expense, I found out. A few people started emailing me saying that the family didn't mail them out of Canada. The Durr family's sister, who lived in Rootstown, Ohio, was the one that was sending out the care packages. The woman's name was Emily Durr. And I thought, well, what are the odds that this person would have used their real name and she can't be a Durr. And I thought, well, this has to be a fake name because all the Durr family names are fake. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Um, I started looking into it and looking at, I don't really remember the exact sites that I was looking at back then because it was five or six years ago now. But when you Google somebody's name and the things pop up of places that they've lived and their family members and stuff, all of a sudden I realized this Emily Durr is a real person. Somebody sent me a picture of their return envelope. And it had her name in Rootstown, Ohio. And I I pretty soon realized that she had an apartment there. I put a thing on the blog. Once I really suspected that it was her and sort of had two or three reasons why I thought that, Mm -hmm. I made a post on the blog and I said, will ED in Rootstown, Ohio, please contact me? A few hours later, I got an email from uh, somebody with a, a medical school email address. And she said, I'm not sure what this entire thing is about. My brother is Canadian, and because of his top-secret clearance with the Canadian Mounties, <laughs> he can't use pictures of his own children online. Oh, wow. So he went through the Internet and looked for pictures of kids that kind of looked like his children and have, has been using that sort of as, as, you know, that's how he's been blogging about this. And I, I wrote back and I said, um, I'm really sorry, I don't believe you, even a little bit. So she asked me if she could call me. And she called, so this woman was telling me that she had all these terrible family things happen and that has sort of inspired her to kind of look for a different world for herself that she could kind of create and and manipulate. Um, Later later on, I found out that nothing she told me was true, nothing, but I believed it completely that day.
1: Emily Durr turned out to be a 22-year-old medical student living in Ohio with her parents. She was single and had no children. In the make-believe world of the fictional Durr family, Emily was said to be the younger sister of J.S. She was the only person in the entire fake world of J.S. Durr that was a real person. She had been the one, of course, to send out the Warrior Eli bracelets to supporters. That seemed to be almost her only role in the story. Emily told her that maybe she'd made up the Mother's Day crash and Dana's death as a way to be found out and end the ruse. It was such an unlikely story, somebody surely would have become suspicious." Taryn told Emily to write a statement confessing to the hoax. She did, and Taryn published it on the blog the next day. To whom I have hurt, it began. I am deeply sorry for all the pain I have caused everyone. It was never my intention to do so. This all started 11 years ago, when I was a bored 11-year-old kid, looking for an escape from the pain and heartache I saw in my own family. It started almost as a fiction writing, but the more time I spent escaping to it, the more real it became. I'm so sorry it hurt so many families and so many people out there. After several years of writing, I thought I could do some good with it. I had read stories of children fighting pediatric cancer and thought I could raise awareness for these kids.
2: So, but from people that that know her that have gotten in contact with me, I don't think she had the happiest life. I think she had sort of a a really um, limited social life. And I really hope that after this whole thing happened, she's kind of moved on to something that's more in the real world and and isn't sort of affecting people in such a negative way. This is something that I've kind of gotten to learn from the people that I've talked to who have have done things like this. They really do closely follow um, people that are ill. And I I think they have a lot of compassion for people that are ill and for people that are struggling. I think they admire them so much that they sort of want that kind of admiration um, directed towards them. And they start these blogs, they start out really small, I mean, sometimes where they just will write a couple of entries and they get a lot of attention from them. And I think that that's intoxicating for people that don't have a real um, satisfying social life or a satisfying story of their own. It's kind of a way for them to go out and take social risks without having to share their own story. Um, So I think that that was her motivation. I think she was a shy teenager when she started the entire thing and it, it really snowballed and The story kind of took on a life of its own. And she started meeting more and more people who told her she was the greatest thing ever. And I think that that kind of attention really is intoxicating for some people.
1: Also as JS, Emily began friendships with others, including many whose children or they themselves were battling cancer. JS would offer moral support, encouragement, and advice to those going through their own medical issues. As a medical student whose goal was to become an oncologist, Emily had enough knowledge of various types of cancers, including symptoms and treatment, to make it seem as if she were going through the same experience. Of course, those who thought they were sharing intimate details of their life with J.S. Durr, including their medical histories, fears, and hopes, felt angry, embarrassed, and betrayed. Jay was like my online big brother, one young girl would say. I could literally vent to him about anything. After the hoax was revealed, she felt lonely and adrift without her friend. I literally put my entire self into this relationship, she said. Those who were connected to cancer charities also felt the sting of the hoax. Sierra Rain Children's Neuroblastoma Foundation had promoted Eli's cause on its Facebook page. Everyone's out there to shoot for a cure and to band together against this disease, spokesperson Jen Chambly said. Then you have these scammers that take advantage. It makes it tough for the real foundations. Although Emily Durr's fabrications would affect those she'd fooled, some for over a decade, she had not sought material gain in any way. The Durrs never solicited any donations for Eli's cancer treatments. They'd only ask supporters to make donations to legitimate cancer charities like Alex's Lemonade Stand. In fact, it actually cost Emily Durr money to keep the fantasy going. She'd produced and mailed hundreds of Warrior Eli bracelets to supporters. One supporter sent a handmade blanket to Emily, asking her to forward it on to Eli just before the story about the hoax broke in the news. A few days later, the woman received the blanket back, returned by Emily with an $80 donation to the foundation the woman was connected with, and she also wrote her an apology note.
2: I think what's uncommon is that she kept with the same storyline for so long. I mean, my ladies and and my one gentleman uh, that I've met since then who have done these sort of things, they they do do it. And and part of the problem with treatment of Munchausen by Internet is it's difficult to treat because people will go back um, to doing the same thing. They'll just pick a different community and a different story um, to do this with. But I think Emily was very unique in that she kept the same storyline going for so long. I I think that a lot of times, this stuff does start out with teenagers. You know, like it doesn't surprise me that she was so young when she started. It does surprise me that she stuck with it through, you know, her teenager her teenage years, and then and through college, and then the beginning of med school.
1: Emily was not charged criminally, as the only thing she appeared to have done was violate the terms of service on Facebook or other social media sites by creating false online identities but she violated the trust of many, many people, some who now say they have difficulty trusting what anyone shares with them online now. One woman who had corresponded with the dürs while her own son battled leukemia shared this with Taryn Wright on her warrior Eli Hoek's Facebook page. It would almost be easier if she'd been doing it for a lot of cash, because it's really hard to swallow that she did this for attention. She took the last coping mechanism away from a group of people that have precious little left to feel good about, so she could feel something. She is a reasonably fortunate human being, med student, with a family, and opportunities. Yet she took something so basic from a group that doesn't have anything left to give, for what appears to be no reason at all. However, Emily's case is not typical. Many internet hoaxers have financial gain as a motive, and this, of course, is a crime. Taryn has made it her goal since stumbling upon and solving the warrior Eli hoax five years ago to uncover internet fraud. Internet crimes such as this cost consumers upwards of $800 million per year, according to the FBI. So how did your involvement with this case impact you going forward?
2: Well, it did. It, again, it was completely out of the blue. And I thought, Here's this great. It's funny because I really was so naive, and I thought I'm going to write about this. You know, I'll, I'll keep updating this and and figure out this great mystery. It, it's something you know, like a puzzle to figure out. Um, then I started getting the emails from the people who that had children die of cancer, who had one woman left the deathbed of her dying child to comfort Emily Durr pretending to be someone else, um, when her imaginary child took it turn for the worse. And just that woman saying she'll never get that time back. Um, seeing people really close up, you know, like these people were emailing me and they became my Facebook friends, seeing how they really did grieve, um, for their friend who was kind of taken from them. Um, even when they knew it was fake, I mean, it's still, It's still a loss when you know somebody for 10 years and they're taken from you, even if that person turns out to have been a faker. Mm -hmm. Um, And to see how that impacted people. I mean, I I still talk to a lot of the people who had interacted with Emily and who still on the anniversaries and stuff like that will send me messages saying, I still think about it. I still remember this. I had no idea anything about childhood cancer. I've been lucky enough not to have anybody that I love struggle with that. Um, seeing people that were and knowing that they had been hurt by this person who was pretending was really kind of painful. You know, it was it was painful to see people struggling like that. It was painful to think that somebody made it worse. It sort of became not a puzzle to solve, but this big sort of emotional tangle. I thought, I mean, I thought my blog was gonna just be archived after that. I kept getting emails from people though with other blogs to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of them were real, but I found another fake one and the women that I started, women and men that I started to work with um, in this Facebook group who had helped me with the first hoax, we started to look at these blogs and I kept sort of updating the blog with new hoaxes from there. It's impacted the way I use the internet for sure. Oh, it's made me a little less likely to sort of share things. As I got to know people that sort of struggled with Munchausen by internet and, and did pull off horrific, terrible blogs and really sort of emotionally manipulate people, are already suffering. Each time I started researching one of those, I thought this one is the worst. There's nothing redeeming about them. You know, like this one is a true Disney villain. Mm -hmm. And then I would, you know, write about the the thing that happened and I'd end up talking to the person who did it. And I would think, oh, this person's funny. You know, I like this person. This person is good to their mother. You know, like they all had redeeming qualities. Um, All of them were real people and all of them were somebody that's struggling with something, you know? So it's hard to sort of put everybody in a box of you're good and you're bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that nobody really tells the stories of people that are doing this, you know, in, in the past, uh, when somebody has sort of been uh, found out when they do a, a hoax like this, they kind of fall away. They change their name or so, not. They don't change their name. They change their screen name or their email and nobody really knows who it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, it's been interesting to meet people like that. It's been interesting to kind of draw attention to, to the, the hoax thing. And it's been interesting to um, sort of see the people that have done these hoaxes realize that there's real people that they've affected. And this is what I do. You know, I I, we're working right now on um, we filmed a pilot to sort of do this for a TV show. And it's still kind of in development. We're working on a lot of things. So it's become a big part of my life without a doubt. I mean, it's it's crazy that something that was such a throwaway thing um, has become what it has been for me. Well, my blog is still at WarriorEliHoax.com. People can also follow me on Facebook if they want um, with under the name Taryn Harper-Wright. And we have a fan page on Facebook for the blog, too.
1: I'd like to thank my guest, Taryn Wright, for sharing her knowledge of this case and her expertise in uncovering online hoaxes. You can find her at her blog, WarriorEliHoax.com, or follow her on Facebook under Taryn Harper-Wright, or the Facebook page at Facebook.com. Warrior Eli Hoax. As always, all the links are in the show notes. Next week I'll be back sharing a special Halloween episode, so don't miss it. Until next time, be good to one another.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well.